Daniel chapter 2, that dream, that dream. We're in uh, the Babylon, we're with Daniel and the captives, we're in a pagan society, and a powerful king is on the throne with a vast empire. And uh, we are told in the second year of his reign, reign, he had dreams and his mind was troubled and he could not sleep. So he's established and he's got authority over many nations that he's conquered. He's got a very well-equipped army. But something's disturbing him. It's not a rebellion in some far-flung corner of the empire. It's not a rebellion amongst his own people. It's something that he can't escape. It's a dream that haunts him. Dreams can be very troublesome. I remember my elder brother at one time having terrible nightmares and he would wake up soaked in sweat. It turned out actually to be medication that he was being given at the time for his Parkinson's. I guess at times all of us dream, but when we wake up, we generally forget or we want to forget what we've dreaming, what we've been dreaming about. Generally, it's uh, uh, an overactive imagination or something we're troubled with on our minds or something we've eaten. It's very rare that a dream is a divine revelation from God about the future. But before we'd had the written word of God, God did sometimes reveal himself to his people that way. And it's not unknown for God to give a dream to somebody to wake them up and illuminate them. Bernard Lewis talks about people, particularly Muslims, um, who sometimes have a dream that ultimately leads them to Christ. Uh, Spurgeon um, was one day wrestling with sermon preparation. Um, unlike some of us, he, he was so busy and so gifted, he would sometimes leave it quite late. And uh, he... He was doing it on a Saturday evening, and, uh, <laughs> and he got to the point where he, he just couldn't get an outline for his message. And uh, finally he gave up and he, he went to bed intending to get up early the next morning and uh, finally prepare. And uh, when he woke up in the morning early, he said to his wife, I must go and uh, get on with the message God had given me for the people. And his wife said, well, she said, you've been talking in your sleep, and I've been listening to you. And uh, <laughs> I've actually got your sermon headings for you. <laughs> and so, uh, wonderfully, God had uh, blessed um, Spurgeon's dream um, with his wife taking down what he'd said in the night. This dream was a very different one the king had. It was a nightmare. And it stayed with him. He was the most powerful man in the world. Current affairs would have been something that would obviously trouble him. But he's felt vulnerable. You know what it is with people who are powerful? They get paranoid. 
Can you remember those pictures of Putin in the early days when he, had, when he met anyone? He had this great big long table and he had them sitting right at the end of the table. And, and, and powerful rulers can often be, get very paranoid about people who might poison them or assassinate them and they have their food doubly checked. And uh, they have cup bearers to sample their drinks uh, and the food. But it's not only people like kings and dictators that can be ill at ease and trouble. I believe there are many people who live troubled lives. Many people who don't sleep well. Many people who need the help of medication. People who may be living, humanly speaking, a really good life with everything the heart could desire, but deep inside, they're uneasy. We might be tempted to, live, to envy some of the people we know who live in good homes and have got good jobs, but we don't really know the dark feelings that they're troubled with at times. And uh, there is a big responsibility sometimes to some people and people who feel a sense of responsibility to others can toss and turn and think about these things. And uh, this is a mighty monarch. He's got everything the world can offer. But he's not got peace of mind. And I say to you that the most wonderful thing that you can have in life is to have peace of mind. Peace with God. The peace that comes from knowing God cares about you and God is with you and God will never leave you. We've got a troubled king in the first place. But a king who wants a solution and an answer to what's troubling him. So he summons all his wise men, anybody who knows anything. He's uh, got a spiritual problem, but he's looking for secular specialists. And the cream of the learning of the empire are assembled, and uh, he demands of them to tell him what he's dreamed and what it means. And he's adamant. They've got to tell him what he's dreamed. And they realise that nobody has ever been expected to do this before. Um, and uh, the king is persistent. Uh, he, he's desperate for an answer. And he even is going to go at great lengths to try and scare the advisers of the world into giving him an answer. He's not going to find the answer with stargazers and astrologers. He's not going to find answers there. And there are people today that are still searching for answers to life. There are still people who want to find meaning and purpose. Trying all kinds of things. <laughs> Improving our lives, reading self-improvement books. Going and picking up with Eastern religions and meditation, seeking peace of mind. I remember looking at the, the, one of the nature programs recently, and it started ending up with a mindful moment. And uh, many of the people who were camera people or uh, nature enthusiasts were doing it because 
they, they'd had a kind of breakdown. And they needed to find peace of mind and were looking for peace of mind in nature. You're not going to find peace of mind outside of a relationship with God. You're not going to find peace in your conscience without forgiveness of sin. You're not going to be able to face the future, the unknown future tomorrow, without knowing God is with you. And this king is like many people today. He's restless and he's expecting answers where he's going to find no solutions. And he's adding threats. He can't understand why these people who are supposed to know everything can't tell him what he's dreamed. It's an impossible. And they're in disarray. They are not in touch with the living God. They had probably come to the king probably with good guesswork in the past. They probably used what they knew to spin him a theory that might have satisfied his curiosity. But they are stumped this time. I don't know whether it was in his commentary on... Um, Daniel, I know some of you are reading Stuart Olliott, was brilliant, but Jeff Thomas has got a book on Daniel as well. He tells a story of how in 1933 there was a modernist theologian, that is to say a teacher who didn't accept the uh, fundamental essence of, of the Bible, how he came to lecture at an American seminary. And Paul Tillich came to this seminary and he said the resurrection of Jesus was not a physical resurrection. It just took place in the mind of the disciples. He said the resurrection was just symbolic, just like heaven and hell is just symbolic. You don't take it literally. Well, after listening a little while, a minister in the meeting rose to his feet to ask a question. And as he stood up, he bit an apple. He said, Dr. Tillich, I don't know much about this theory of yours, but can you tell me this? Is this apple that I'm eating bitter or sweet? Well, with the courtesy of a scholar, Tillich replied, I can't possibly answer that question. I haven't tasted your apple. The old man looked back at him and said, <coughs> Neither have you tasted my Jesus. You see, theories are all very well and good. Talk is easy and cheap at times. But does it really help people leading them to the truth of God. There's a man who's determined to get an answer and he's even threatened people if they can't help him. But what he's seen is their limits and limitations. His anger's only revealing the depth of his troubled mind. He's so troubled, he's fearful, He's even ready to wipe out the top brass around him. Who does that remind us of? 
Stalin, Mao, Pol Pot, Saddam. It reminds us of how people can get so desperate, so fearful, so anxious. And here is a man blaming others and holding others to account something that they cannot be expected to answer. Nebuchadnezzar speaks to our modern world, speaks to a generation that hardly knows what to think and believe, and tells us there is no solution in the cream of the secular learning of our world. The wisdom for life, for the future, for the things that cannot be known in a natural or a physical way is only found from the living God who's spoken to us in Scripture and in Christ. So Daniel hears of this and Daniel prays. So first of all, Daniel hears about the uh, uh, planning uh, of the execution of all the uh, learning, learned men uh, and apparently Daniel wasn't at the meeting and uh, but was to be included in the executions. So when he hears what's happening, he calmly and wisely asks for an interview and he asks for time to pray to find the answer to the dream. He knew that God could even intervene in a situation like this. And he goes home to his house, and he goes where his three friends are staying. He tells them, and these four pray together. There's a wonderful blessing in praying together, whether it's man and wife, whether it's parents and children, whether it's families or whether it's congregations that pray together. We can easily pick up the phrase, those that pray together stay together. And Daniel calls his three friends and they pray. Didn't the Lord Jesus tell us in his teaching, I tell you, if two of you on earth agree about anything you ask for, it will be done for you by my Father in heaven. What were they to pray? What were they to pray? Did they remind God that they belonged to the people that he'd chosen to be witnesses to the world? And if the loss of Daniel and the cream of believers in exile were lost, it would be damaging to the kingdom of God? Did they remind God that it was their family that God had promised would bring blessing to the world by sending the Messiah, the Saviour of the world? They clearly prayed, seeking God to fulfil his promise and keep his people and deliver them in this great danger. And then... Not only did he plan and pray, but he ended up praising. During the night, the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision. And he praised the God of heaven and said, Praise be to the name of God forever and ever. 
he reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what lays in darkness and light dwells with him. Well, the king couldn't sleep for worry. But Daniel slept and God gave him a vision. And he remembers that he is a, his God is the God that reveals hidden things. How wonderful to have a God who reveals things. A God who not only knows everything, but makes things known to us. A God who knows our thoughts and our desires. That's a wonderful privilege if we are those who are sincerely seeking to live as God wants us to do. God is praised because he makes things known. How wonderful that you and I know who holds the future. We've been singing about it. Isn't that wonderful? We've got a God who knows the future and he holds our future. What more do we want? Daniel's praising God because he's already grasped what this is about. It's about the future. And he now knows what the future is. And so he goes to the king. And he meets the king. And he uh, tells the king that uh, the Lord has revealed it to him. The living God has made it known to him. And it's very clear. So let's remember what he's seen. So, da so Nebuchadnezzar has dreamed and he's seen a massive statue. The statue of a man towering over the landscape. We're going to learn about uh, another statue that uh, the king made later on in the book of Daniel. So here he is. He's got a statue. And its head is made of gold. The most precious metal. A glistening gold head. The chest and the arms are silver. Pure silver. Very beautiful indeed. The lower middle body is a, another metal, a strong metal. It's bronze. And the legs and iron, uh, the legs and the feet, are a mixture of iron and bronze. And the feet are mixed with clay. And then, having seen the statue, seen the gold and the silver and the bronze and the iron and the mixture of iron and uh, clay a stone a gigantic rock comes from nowhere and crashes into the statue and smashes it to pieces this is what the king had dreamed and now Daniel explains what it's all about. It's a picture of time. It's a picture of history. It's a picture of consecutive worldly kingdoms. The gold and head is Nebuchadnezzar's Babylonian kingdom that goes right round the fertile crescent into Israel and there. It's followed by the Medo-Persians who took over the Babylonian Empire and incorporated Nebuchadnezzar's empire in their own. The bronze is Alexander the Great, the Greek conqueror who swiftly swept through that area 
and beat anyone in sight. And then the third, fourth empire is the Roman Empire. The Roman Empire who conquered the Greeks and that is symbolised by the lower part of the body. And it was the Roman Empire that eventually fell apart. <coughs> a famous historian called Gibbon wrote a great famous book called The Decline and Fall of the Roman Empire. We read about the Roman Empire in the Bible. The Lord Jesus was born in the time of the Roman Empire. God saw it fitting to send his Saviour, the Son of God, into the world in the days of the Roman Empire because the Empire controlled all the movements of the world and there was freedom of movement for the Apostles to spread the Gospel throughout the Empire. They didn't have to cross borders because the Romans controlled all the Mediterranean world. And it was in this time that the little stone came rolling down. And the little stone is a picture of the kingdom of God, the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ. It comes, and though the others are smashed and they pass through time, this kingdom is indestructible. It's going to last forever and ever. The Lord Jesus began to build his people on earth during the time of the Roman emperors and the kingdom of Jesus Christ has outlasted the Romans. It's outlasted all the empires of the world. It's going to outlast all the present empires, whether they are in China or whether they're in America. Wherever there is a kingdom on earth, the kingdom of Christ is within it and will outlast it. And that is the wonderful blessing of belonging to the kingdom of God. We've got the best king. We've got the greatest empire. We've got the most wonderful citizens. We've got the most glorious hope. The kingdom of Christ is individual rule over individual hearts. Are you this morning those who put your trust in the Lord Jesus to lead you and to oversee you and to care for you and provide for you and to protect you? Are you submitting to his laws and his word? Are you loving his ways and his character? This is what Nebuchadnezzar dreamt about and Daniel interpreted and we understand its relevance in this 21st century. And so uh, Daniel was honoured by the king. So what are the lessons as we close this morning? Let me just top off this message with the <coughs> obvious lessons. History, events in time, are in God's hand. The ancient civilizations of the past are past. You go into the Fertile Crescent where uh, Nebuchadnezzar lived and Babylonia lived and, 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 and there are just mounds that are being excavated, that were once glorious, and where kings were fated and had absolute power, but they're forgotten. The cradles of civilization are no more. Time has passed. God has got a plan. God never intended 
for a world empire to last forever. That's why God caused Babel to take place, scattering the people so there would be no one world power to rule the rest of the world. God, history and events that take place. We, 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 we live amongst history. We, we, we can't foresee ahead. We, we see China becoming more powerful in the Far East and trying to spy on everybody. We don't know the outcome of that. We, we don't know the outcome of uh, what's happening in Russia at the moment. The Lord knows. And the most wonderful thing and the most important thing to know is, are we safe in the kingdom of God? We can never be stripped of our citizenship if we come to Jesus Christ in our need and ask him to take us in. There are no barriers to citizenship except personal confession of need. But also we are learning how true God's word is. Biblical scholars have shown that this book really was written long before these empires outplaced the Babylonian one. It was only unbelief that tried to say, well, this was written after the events. Uh, the book doesn't bear that. The cuneiform tablets of the time of Babylon don't allow us to think like that. And if God's word, God's prophecies from olden times come true, why should we doubt what he says about the future? Why should we question what he says about the unseen future, about a heaven and a hell? Why should we question that there is going to be a day of judgment for every human being at the end of time? Just as God's predictive word came true in, in, in Daniel's time, so God's predictive word for our time, telling us what to expect, is true. And finally, I've already been saying it, and that's what I want to leave you with this morning. The only kingdom worth belonging to is Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus warns us that he himself will be like a stone that causes men to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. The kings of Babylon, the kings of Persia, the kings of Rome did not submit to the Christ, to the living God. And they fell to continually defy Christ is to court judgment and to ultimately face eternal loss the Lord Jesus said my kingdom is not of this world but it is a worldwide kingdom citizens in every continent young and old educated uneducated rich and poor every race there are brothers and our sisters. They love the same Saviour and want to be like him and with him. Can you say this morning as we end this message, the King of love my shepherd is.
whose goodness faileth never. Daniel and his three mates in Babylon prove the goodness of their king, their spiritual king. Daniel and his friends were blessed in Babylon. You will be blessed if you know the king of love, the Lord Jesus, and you put your life in his hands. But all remember the flip side. If you don't, the tragedy is unspeakable. May the Lord be pleased to speak to us from his word.